This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome back into the Door Report, episode 243 on a colder but still lovely Tuesday evening, October 17th, 2023. And also welcome Phoebe to the screen immediately jumps up as we begin recording. But here at TDR, I am Will Byram as always joined by my co-host Trevor Hewlin. As always here at TDR, we are sponsored by Corey Perkins of Parks Realty. If you're a first-time home buyer or looking to purchase a home or move homes in the Nashville area, Corey Perkins is your man. You can reach out to Corey via phone call or text at 615-967-8623, or you can reach out to Corey via email at Perkins at Realtracks.com. Realtracks spelled R-E-A-L-T-R-A-C-S. Dot com. Trevor, I almost forgot to give our names there at the beginning because Phoebe threw me off so bad. She she timed that so well. It, she heard she you. She heard you in your TDR voice, and she's like, it's time to assume the position. She knows. She knows. She knows. But Trevor, we have probably a brief episode 243 here compared to the basketball preview episode that we will be recording and dropping later this week for the upcoming 2023-2024 Vanderbilt Commodores basketball season. But we have a football game to recap. The Vanderbilt Commodores fell to the number one overall ranked Georgia Bulldogs 37-20 to in a more competitive performance than I think a lot of Vanderbilt fans hoped for and me and you predicted. I think I predicted 51-7. to You predicted 56 to nothing. Yeah. So. They surpassed my expectations. A success compared to our expectations, but there's still quite a bit of reaction to get into as Vanderbilt heads into their first bye week of the season, eight games into the season, and Vanderbilt has their first bye week. What the hell is that scheduling? I'm sure we'll hit on that. We have me and Trevor's three key takeaways from the game. We're also going to give our bye week grades. I bet everyone out there can kind of expect where me and Trevor fall on the grading scale for this 2023 Vanderbilt Commodore football team in year three under Clark Lee. But we're still going to give our grades and evaluations so far what we've seen through the first eight games. And just a reminder, I'm going to shamelessly plug it again. We do have the basketball preview later this week. Hoops is coming. I'm repeating that again. Hope is coming. Stack and the boys are on their way. Hope is on the horizon. 2L is on the horizon. And we dine in hell. Oh, dude. Did you see the preseason rankings today that that per release? Vanderbilt. Let, oh, my gosh, dude. We dine After in finishing fifth. We dine. We dine in hell this winter. 
not only figuratively, but literally, because Memorial Gymnasium still does not have AC. So we will be both dining in hell figuratively and literally. I can't wait to sweat my sweat. <laughs> I was about to say, so I can't wait to sweat with my boys at Duel. Sweat your balls off. That's sweat what your ass say. off. Whatever, whatever you were going to say, I'll go ahead and say it. But Trevor, I'm very excited for that preview because I think this is a very interesting season to preview. I think there's returning talent on this roster, but there's a lot of lost talent and some interesting holes on this team that they're going to try to replace through some guys they picked up in the transfer portal and some returning talent that's just simply going to have to step up in Mm -hmm. place of some guys that they lost. But that's going to be next episode on episode 244. Before we get into the Georgia recap and reaction, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Door Report. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Emphasis on subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. Trevor, Phoebe, it's now time for breaking news. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Trevor, it's time to get into it. Before we get into the Georgia recap, there was some news on the recruiting front. Vanderbilt flipped Virginia's highest-ranked player, I think you said before the podcast. sir, their number one recruit. Jalen Lackey flipped a three-star cornerback from Virginia to the Commodores, adding hopefully a little bit more talent to that secondary, to that young talent that is there to a struggling Commodore secondary. Have you been able to evaluate Jalen Lackey at all, or are you just kind of riding the wave right now? I'm just riding the wave right now. There's not a lot of evaluating going. Um, basically, everything I know about him is what Robbie Weinstein has said. So shout out to Robbie <laughs> Doves, friend of the pod. And there's plenty of time to discuss this 2024 class and this pretty pretty good job so far. I'll believe it when pin hits paper, but pretty damn good job from Barton Simmons and staff so far a in this upcoming class. class so great far. recruiting class especially with the issues that have been seen on the field. That leads us perfectly into the Georgia recap. I've kind of got it written down a quick summary more than I've done in previous weeks because I think our three key takeaways are going to be a little boring. Uh-huh. It's probably going to be <laughs> what a lot of people expect, but I'll kind of go through each quarter and some significant drives and how the game went and then kind of get your feeling on on what you saw out there. But I'm just going to call this key plays, but they're all in chronological order. So to start out the game, Vanderbilt opens up the game with probably one of the best sequences of play calling and scheme that we have seen out of Joey Lynch. Immediately go down London Humphreys, breaks a big play, 
touchdown doors. Doors are up early, I think, within three minutes of, of that game beginning. Vanderbilt's up 7 nothing on the number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs. That was nice to see. After Vanderbilt, how many years had it been since Vanderbilt scored a touchdown since 2019? I think so. Against Georgia? So I had a little a bit of excitement. different presidential administration. Uh, yeah, different, <laughs> a different admin. Times were simpler last time Vanderbilt scored a touchdown against Georgia. So that was nice to see. A step in the right direction. Good play calling from Joey Lynch. And Vanderbilt actually jumped out early on an opponent. Granted, it was a team that you probably had zero chance to beat. But Vanderbilt followed up that touchdown by forcing a fumble. Sacking Carson Beck. Beck fumbles. Vanderbilt recovers it. And this is probably the most key moment of the entire game, mm-hmm. if I have to be honest, is Vanderbilt's up seven to nothing, forces a turnover against Georgia, has a chance to go up 14 nothing, 10 nothing, worst case, great field position, a chance to really get the nation's attention. I would mm-hmm. say if Vanderbilt goes up two scores on Georgia in the first quarter, people are going to start tuning in. It's an 11 a.m. kick on CBS national broadcast. This could have been an opportunity for Vanderbilt to raise some eyebrows and maybe do something very special in front of a sea of red. But three plays, four yards, missed 47-yard field goal, looked dead on, just didn't have the leg. And Georgia gets the ball back, immediately drives down the field, scores, tie ball game, 7-7. to All the momentum that you kind of felt early, it felt like, okay, time to get back to reality here. I don't know about you, but at that point, I kind of turned to my dad and was like, that was fun. That was yeah. fun while it lasted. Even though Vanderbilt was still up seven to nothing, it was just like that was the opportunity yep. and the execution that we heard in some post-game comments. It, it was a nice microcosm for the rest of the season. Absolute cowardice not to go for that. I, I tweeted that, and I will stand by that. You have the number one team in the nation. You have the chance to get some moment, even more momentum early. Yeah, would it have been risky in that field position? Yeah, but you're playing with house money, so dude, just let it hang. You know what I mean? I didn't hate hate the decision to kick the field goal. Now, it is on the staff to know, hey, Virgilia doesn't have the leg. Not to mention you're kicking into the into wind. Into the wind with a guy that you know doesn't really have the leg from long distance. The kick was dead on. It just didn't have the distance. It quite so. literally was like a yard short. From yeah. Angle. Like I, he, like if there was no wind, it, he's making I, I'm in section a, so I was on the opposite end. So it, it looked good for mine. I literally thought it went in and snuck across the crossbar, but unfortunately missed Georgia drives down and scores at seven to seven Vanderbilt punts and Georgia scores at the beginning of the second quarter to go up 14 to seven. Then your favorite, favorite part of the whole game. Vanderbilt goes three and out. Georgia, 16 plays, 58 yards. The Vanderbilt defense actually stiffens up in the second quarter, forces Georgia to kick a field goal. The dogs lead 17 to seven. Then the biggest mistake of the game. You've asked the question before, is Clark Lee the worst middle eight coach yes. in all of college football? He might be. Yes. No, it, there's no might be. He is. It's impressive how bad this football team is in the middle eight. Just repeatedly making mistakes where they lose those key moments and key time condensed moments at the end of the half. That was really when the game, I don't want to say got out of hand because it never really got out of hand compared to our predictions. Mm-hmm. But. That interception from Ken Seals is inexcusable. Yeah. In that situation, setting Georgia up in great field position. Of course, of course, Ugga punches it in. Doors are down 24 to 7 at half, even though it really didn't feel like Vanderbilt should be trailing by 17 points. Mm-hmm. 
that's the part that was frustrating. You have the number one team in the country. You're down 24 to seven and you don't feel like they've thoroughly dominated you and you're still down 17 points. So how are you feeling at halftime of the game? Uh, I was disappointed because uh, the, and granted, I want to preface this, the uh, Vanderbilt was not out of the game by any means at that point. Um, the play calling was frustrating to me. I, I wish they were more aggressive. We'll get into that later. I thought the field goal kick early with Burchilla was absolute cowardice. Um, I, I was frustrated really because not from what I saw on the field necessarily, but what Vanderbilt had the chance to do. Does that make sense? What the the possibility and the opportunity that was in front of Vanderbilt that they absolutely squandered, that's what was frustrating to me going into half. That feels like a lot of this season is just missed opportunities and not even opportunities that Vanderbilt was very close to executing, but they never even gave themselves the chance yep. to have a true opportunity. That's what it feels like. This this Vanderbilt team isn't one step away. They're not two steps away. They feel like they're like three steps away mm -hmm. from being a team that can truly win SEC games consistently. I'm not saying five years in the future, this program is exactly where we want it to be, that they're going to roll in and beat the number one team in the country. But the opportunity was there this game. Georgia had an injury to Brock Bowers early. They weren't clearly weren't coming in extremely focused, understandably. Mm -hmm. But Georgia made errors, and Georgia was not at the top of their game. And if Vanderbilt was playing at the top of their game, this could have been a real opportunity to shock the nation. It just never came together. Before we get into the second half, and correct me if I'm wrong, in the first half, that fumble that was not touched, that the center advanced, and the referees just did not realize you cannot do that. That was the first half, wasn't it? Am I? I think so. You just. I was. How do you allow that? I was yelling expletives. How do you allow that? You cannot. It. The ball was never touched. You cannot advance that for a first down. How did that happen? There were there were a lot of instances, small ones. I'm going to be honest. This is the first game I haven't gone back and watched fully again all the way through. I just couldn't bring myself to watch a replay of that game. But there were some interesting referee decisions throughout that game that it felt like, does Georgia really need the help yes, right now? Dude. It's not that it would have changed the outcome overall of the game, I don't think personally. But we'll get into it in the second half. The decision to review that catch from Will Shepard. Ultimately, Vanderbilt did score. Let's get into the second half, and then we'll get into that. That could have been more, cataclysmic. Yeah, and some more uh, interesting referee decisions. But third quarter, Vanderbilt obviously got the ball first and came out and scored on that big London Humphreys catch. Georgia gets the ball. 19-play drive to open up the second half, but the Vanderbilt defense holds them again to a field goal. There were only two total possessions in the third quarter. Mm -hmm. Vanderbilt got the ball, immediately put together a very long drive, helped a lot by penalties. I'll just throw that out there. It was helped a lot by penalties. But this is the Will Shepard catch that I think made some waves across social media. Kind of one-handed, falling down. Great throw by um, Ken Seals Amazing over there. body control by Shep. Great. That is the talent level that we are ta constantly talking about with Will Shepard. That's just a different level of ability and talent, and that's the type of catch that has NFL GMs kind of salivating over Will Shepard as a mid-round potential wide receiver, like a steal-of-the-draft type guy, 6'3", 200 pounds, can make catches like that. I think that's going to translate to the next level. But right after that catch, Vanderbilt immediately hurries up, runs the ball in for a touchdown. 
after the play, during the play, the referee runs in blowing the whistle that they need to go back and review that catch from Will Shepard. Inexcusable. Unbelievable. It was a late whistle. The play had already been snapped. First off, I was yelling this. It's just bullshit that if you get the snap off that they can't blow it dead. Like I see it across the country. That was evident in person. Vanderbilt had gotten that snap off before there was a signal down and the whistle blew. And Vanderbilt scored on that play. They review it. Obvious catch. Wasn't even close to hitting. And that review was long as hell. Or is my mind playing tricks? That was a long as hell review. I was watching that on the swaying jumbotron held up by cranes trying to figure out what this referee crew was looking at what the booth was reviewing on this catch the ball never even came close to hitting the ground he was nowhere near the sideline and it took him forever and finally it's a catch call is confirmed oh my god no way you've killed the momentum vanderbilt had and and ruined the element of surprise georgia can bring in their big bodies and immediately vanderbilt commits a pre-snap penalty to set them back. Thank God Drink. Vanderbilt punched that in. Drink. Every time Vanderbilt commits a pre-snap penalty, the, you have to take and it's, a step That's another... Beer. This is why I think our three keys are going to be nothing controversial, but this game was such a microcosm of what we have seen all year. Absolutely. It's not the, it's not the where Vanderbilt ranks in penalties. It's not where they rank in penalty yardage. It's Vanderbilt has just had a huge completion, can potentially turn this into a two-score game and you're on the one two yard line and a pre-snap false start or whatever it was, yeah. illegal snap, whatever the actual call was, a five yard penalty, and it sets Vanderbilt back in a tougher spot. Eventually, Vanderbilt does, I think that was the Hoskins touchdown, correct? Yes, sir. Yep. Throws to the former walk on Hoskins, 27 to 14. In the fourth quarter, Vanderbilt's within two scores, and it kind of stayed that way a majority of the fourth quarter. Uh, let me find where I am here. Another long drive to open up that fourth quarter from the Georgia Bulldogs. And once again, Vanderbilt's defense bows up. The classic Ben don't break is what it felt like. The red Little zone Bob defense. Shoop defense. Yeah, the red, that? I'll, if, if they can do that all year, and if they can do it against Georgia, then damn, they should be able to do it all year. Yeah. The defense probably played their best game of the season. I agree. I Even agree. giving up 37 points against this Georgia team, I, I think that they did a hell of a job. Georgia possessed the ball for a long time on some of these drives, but when the defense needed to stiffen up, they did. Georgia kicks a field goal. In the fourth quarter, you were still down two scores, 30-14. to 14. Granted, two scores and two two-point conversions, but a three and out after Georgia's long drive and the decision to punt here was an interesting one. Hated that one, too. I, I hated it. It ended up kind of working out. I wish I could get ESPN's play-by-play to load so I could see the timestamp on that punt. I think because it, that yeah. was the CJ Taylor pick. Yes, it was. But seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, you're down two scores to the number one team in the country on your own 25, fourth and seven, and you punt the football. I think that's going to be a key point that we had talk about in our key takeaways is that was clearly this staff not playing to actually win the game, mm-hmm. but just playing to have the moral victory and good-looking scoreboard at the end of the game. Now, absolutely, that decision did work out when Georgia inexplicably decided to throw the football down the field up two scores in the fourth quarter with seven minutes remaining. C.J. Taylor picked it off, returned it down to the one-yard line, got injured on the play. 
huge injury for Vanderbilt. I don't. I haven't heard any updates. Have you heard any updates about the CJ Taylor any, injury? I haven't heard any updates, but that tweet was pretty damning. Yeah, he tweeted CJ Taylor. If you don't know what Trevor's talking about, tweeted about artificial turf versus grass, and that players. I don't have the tweet pulled up, but that players want grass. They want real grass to play on and at every level, NFL, at every level, college. Everybody wants grass. And anybody saying it's it it is more difficult than turf to maintain real grass. But it's possible. Absolutely. It's definitely possible, especially in Tennessee, mm-hmm. where right down the road, the Tennessee Titans have grass. Literally two miles down the road, there is an NFL football stadium with grass. You had a stat that I think it was up until 2011 in the James Franklin era. You talked about this beforehand, that Vanderbilt Stadium did have grass. It's, Vanderbilt's field was grass. It's so frustrating because I, I quote tweeted CJ and I said, we need grass now. I, as everybody knows, I'm a big Philadelphia Eagles fan. Jason Kelsey has been a big proponent of NFL stadiums all switching to grass. Um, I, I made that tweet and, and somebody tweeted at me saying it's physically impossible for Vanderbilt Stadium to have grass because of the drainage. Vanderbilt Stadium, whenever it was constructed in 1922, had grass until the 70s. In the 70s, literally every baseball team, every football team went to AstroTurf. Not because it was better. It was strictly a um, an aesthetics choice. After that, from 1999, Vanderbilt switched back to grass and had grass until 2011 when James Franklin, once again, for aesthetics and for recruiting purposes, switched over to turf. Grass is possible at Vanderbilt Stadium. Vanderbilt Stadium has had grass. There is no excuse not to have grass. Every study has shown that that soft tissue injuries and concussions are more likely on turf than they are grass. You can't argue with the stats. No excuse not to have grass. Um, and that's just that's my big thing. I don't want anybody to say it's it's hard. I don't care. I don't care that it's hard. You have the money. Put in grass. Put in grass. It's as simple as that. I don't understand the pushback. On, Dude, on this point. You, yeah, why? Yeah. What, what? We're not the ones playing on it. And it seems to be pretty universal across the board that either players are A, indifferent, or B, want grass. I, I've yet to see a an active college football or NFL player come out and say, yeah, I prefer turf. They've all said the opposite. Every single person I see talking about turf being good for speed or being good for XYZ is not a player. So why is this a debate? Mm-hmm. Just put in grass. I know it's a logistics nightmare. I'm I know it's a lot more work with a turf and ground crew, but the resources are there. Yep. We're not talking about Tennessee Tech. We're not talking about Austin Peay. This is an SEC football program. Mm-hmm. And I know that a lot of other SEC football programs have turf. So I'm not saying it's a Vanderbilt issue. I'm just saying across the board, why is this a debate? Yep. Most high school football fields, almost all high school football fields are grass. Mm -hmm. I know that there's other logistics issues with Vanderbilt being in the middle of Nashville, but it can be done. It should be done. Absolutely. Simple as that. You lost your best player to an injury. Would it have happened on grass? I don't know. C.J. Taylor seems to think not, and he's the one that got hurt. I tell you so, what, A.J. Swan wouldn't have these concussions if they didn't if they played on grass. I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to speak in in absolutes, but I'm, I'm willing to die on that hill. I don't have the data right now, but I'm going to side with you. I mean, it's concrete I, right under a thing. I mean, you know, I'm, at, I'm in favor of grass. Yeah, I grass. don't under, I don't understand the pushback against it. Once again, but. 
Right after that, C.J. Taylor interception and return down to the one-yard line. Cedric Alexander runs it in on first and goal. Doors down 30-20. to Go for the two-point conversion. Pass gets tipped at the line of scrimmage. The right read. Guy open. Once again, Seals, he's just a game manager. He's not a game breaker. Ball gets tipped. You can say whatever. I just don't think with a quicker release that that ball gets tipped. No diss to Ken Seals. It's just the truth. Georgia then gets the ball. Five plays, 75 yards, three minutes, scores 37 to 20. Vanderbilt gets the ball, three and out, and punts with two minutes and 27 seconds left. Doesn't matter. Vanderbilt's down 17, but punts from their own 30-yard line. Georgia runs out the remainder of the clock. Doors fall 37 to 20 to the Georgia Bulldogs. Fall to two and six. 0 and four in conference. A very disappointing year continues to disappoint, but at least this one was expected. I mean, yeah, I, it, it was expected and it wasn't as bad as expected. So I guess those are the only two like individual rays of sunshine coming through the overcast sky. Yeah, this was probably one of this was not probably this was the least disappointing loss of the season. Oh, absolutely. So there you go. There, There's the ray of sunshine. I'm sure there won't be too many the remainder of this episode. But Trevor, you ready for our three key takeaways? I'm ready, brother. Before we get into our three key takeaways, however, because we don't have a game to preview at the end of this and we're releasing a separate basketball episode, it's now time, Trevor, for the TDR cocktail break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back from the TDR cocktail break. Me and Trevor still have our three key takeaways from the Vanderbilt-Georgia game to get to and our grades so far for this Vanderbilt season entering the bye week in the first bye week of the year after eight games. So, Trevor, let's jump right into it. What's your key takeaway number one? My key takeaway from this pod is my cat's being a freaking psycho right now and attacking me. If you are watching this on the office, she's going, she's going berserk. She's going berserk. I think she ripped the. It's whatever. It's an old flannel, anyways. Um, my key takeaway number one. Um, I think the young guys are actually starting. Uh, I'll keep it positive. Actually, I think the young guys are starting to really come along. I- I'm being really impressed with a lot of the young guys that Vanderbilt's trotted out there. Um, Savion Riley. I'm really impressed with his game. I thought Gumbo Gaskins. We finally got to see a real good glimpse of him. I thought he was very very impressive. Um, of course, you sort of know what you have on the offensive side of the ball with London and Junior. Um, I don't even want to get into the run game because I don't know what the hell's going on with the run game. I think we finished with like 18 yards. Um, that usage, once again, still does not make any sense to me. Um, I guess Cedric was a little bit more involved in the pass game, which is – I have more thoughts on that. But overall, the defensive side of the ball, I think the young guys are coming along really well. I, I really like what I'm seeing from, from Trudell, Martell, um, Gumbo, and Savion. I really like what I'm seeing from those guys. And I'm sorry, Trevor, you already gave your key takeaway number one, but we did forget to run through the box score. Oh, yeah. We so let's do a quick box score run through. Ken Seals, 19 of 29, 201 yards, two touchdowns and one pick. 
50 of which came on a wide open slant that London Humphreys did most of the work on. But pretty okay game overall from Ken Seals. Did nothing to win the game overall. Kind of did something to lose it, but a pretty okay game. Pretty solid. That's kind of how I would describe every performance I've yeah. seen out of Ken Seals so far. Is it was, it was fine. It was fine. On, on a team that is supremely talented around that performance from Ken Seals, that can get the job done. You just have no opportunity to win the game against the number one overall team in the country with what he's being asked to do. Once again, the run game struggled overall as a team. 15 carries for 18 total yards. Cedric Alexander, six carries for 16 yards, one touchdown. Patrick Smith, four carries for 11 yards. Chase Gillespie, just out of the picture. Yep. No carries. He, he's completely eliminated from any involvement in the running game for whatever reason. But the running game continues to struggle. Through the air, Jaden McGowan, leading pass catcher, five catches for 58 yards. London London Humphreys, two catches for 51 yards, one touchdown. Will Shepard, that one spectacular catch for 24 yards, had one drop early in the game that was a pretty bad drop. He He's, only had one reception? He still he dropped a couple. I know for one in particular he oh. dropped. He's he's I, I don't have the full SEC stats. That was the I third know, down. Um, yeah. Yep. I know he's leading the doors in drops, and I think, unless I'm mistaken, he's leading the SEC in drop passes. I could be wrong. He's presented with tough opportunities to catch the ball, but that is something that's going to prevent NFL GMs from drafting Will Shepard too early. The drop issues are still there, even with the natural talent and natural soft hands that he has. Cedric Alexander, two catches for 16 yards. Richie Hoskins, two catches for 14 yards and the touchdown. Justin Ball, also two catches for 14 yards. Quincy Skinner Jr., two catches, 13 yards. Junior Sherrill, two catches for 12 yards. And Logan Kyle, one catch for negative one yards. Once again, seems to be a concerted effort to spread the ball around. They seem to target Jaden McGowan more, which I like this game. But overall, a more uh, still a concerted effort to spread the ball around and an inability to consistently scheme your primary playmakers open and in space. Granted, it's again against Georgia, so it kind of is what it is. So now I think it's time to get into my key takeaway number one, and I think it's pretty similar to yours. Is I'm going to start on the positive side. Overall, impressive performance from the players. There's there's no other way to say it. It would have been very easy to come out and roll over against the number one team in the country, sitting at two and five. Very disappointing season so far. These guys are human. These guys are college students, 18 to 23-year-olds. And they, and they came out and laid it all on the line. The effort was there. The talent gap was less than it has been in previous years between Vanderbilt and Georgia, but the talent gap is still massive. And this team fought from beginning to end. So there's no other way to put it. I mean, overall, I would say I was 75 to 80% happy with what I saw on the field. If Vanderbilt came out and played like that week in, week out, they definitely wouldn't be two and six right now. Mm -hmm. That's number one. But number two, I would be in a lot better mood after a lot game, a lot of games, even if they had the same record. There were mistakes, but overall, from beginning to end, it was a pretty complete performance from Vanderbilt as good as you're going to get I think in year three where this program is and where it has been against the number one team in the country with back-to-back national titles I wasn't disappointed overall and I think the players effort was very evident out there on Saturday so Trevor what do you got for your key takeaway number two 
we kept it positive for key takeaway number one, so it's time to get negative. Um, I thought I thought the play calling and the overall philosophy going into this game uh, was was honestly very cowardly. Um, and, and I'll expound on that. You go in with house money. Your Vanderbilt, your season has been an absolute failure to this point, and you have the best team in the nation coming in, and you immediately have them on the ropes. You have, like you said, I totally agree. Maybe the best drive that Vanderbilt has had all season, I would say, period. Um, that open drive, you go up seven nothing on Georgia. Then you get a turnover. I I understand that that. I, and then again, I don't know what the analytics have to say. I don't know what the analytics guy told Clark. I don't know what the coaching staff called, told Clark. In that moment, you cannot kick a field goal. I know it's fourth and six. I know you're going to give up good field position to Georgia if you don't get it. You, you did anyway. You're playing with house money. You have nothing to lose. CBS, 11 o'clock. Just let it out and let it hang. And just just, just where, let the chips fall where they may. Um, I, I thought the overall game plan was super frustrating, and, and, I, and I don't want to come off as um, hypocritical because we have said I would like to see guys get open in space more. I would like to see um, the running back passing game um, become a little bit more utilized, and, and that still stands true. But not you can't do it against Georgia when you got them on the ropes. You can't consistently throw it behind the line of scrimmage or have these short passes to your backs. Um, you just can't do it against the number one team in the nation. And the same thing, I love sweeps to Jaden McGowan. Yep. I think they're absolutely wonderful. I think we should run them 10 times a game. You can't run them on the goal line against Georgia. That's yep. nothing against Jaden, and, and I don't want to sound hypocritical, but you just can't do it against a team that has speed like that with Georgia. Um, so overall, I just wish the coaching staff would have done more. It, it felt like they were wanting to keep the game close and keep the game uh I, I I interpreted as they wanted to keep it like a moral victory. I know Clark said no, but as a fan, um it's it's hard for me to say that they went out there and they gave their all to win that game. Um so that's my key takeaway number two. That's pretty much exactly my key takeaway number two. I have it written down as the staff called the game to keep the score as close as possible, not actually win the game. I don't care. I, I can pull up the quotes from Clark, but basically he said that's not what they did. Every fan with eyes that has watched football and doesn't just eat up every single word that comes out of these canned AI-generated press conferences and Commodore hours understands that's what Vanderbilt was doing, it, is they were trying to keep that game as close as possible. The situational play calling at the end of the game when you're down two scores tells all the story that you need to know. Okay, great. Vanderbilt covered for the first time this season. They perform better than we thought. I'm not saying I even disagree with the philosophy, but to speak, and I know that every coach does this, but to act like Vanderbilt fans couldn't see what you were doing. Uh-huh. Like, come on. Like, yeah. we all, the, the most telling part of that overall wasn't at the beginning of the game. It was the punt with seven minutes remaining, down 16 points. That was, like, obviously you're just trying to keep the score as close as possible. Also, too, in the fourth quarter, this is another thing I brought up, and I'll keep it brief. In the fourth quarter, whenever you're down two possessions, I think eight minutes left, and continuing to huddle up on offense, like... I mean, also... Am I missing something? It's just what we've said. There, The downfield passing game is just non-existent with Ken Seals. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the big plays are... What we talked about that they weren't doing at all with A.J. Swan is getting easy first and second reads for the quarterback and getting your guys in space. They're doing a lot more of that. Joey Lynch is scheming a lot more of that for Ken Seals. Didn't see any of that for A.J. Swan.
but also you're not seeing anything downfield anymore consistently. And against Georgia, like exactly what you hit on, I love Jaden McGowan's sweeps. But anything that's going to be utilizing lateral speed overall as a team, you're going to lose that battle 10 times out of 10 against Georgia. It's got to be see the hole, one one cut, and go. Yep. That's the only chance you have against Georgia. So overall, I liked the play calling, but it was not situationally prepared for facing the Georgia Bulldogs coming in with the speed they possess on defense. So my key takeaway number two is pretty much exactly yours that this staff was coming in to keep the game as close as possible, not actually win the football game, which I get. I get it. I do get it. Just don't be so obvious about it. Yeah. My key takeaway number three. Um, and, and, and this is, I, I got this from the game, but I've also got this. This is more of a microcosm and we'll get to our, and I guess this will fall into seamlessly after you get into your uh, third key, um, our grades for the season. Um, but for, just from what I saw, against this Georgia team and just what I've seen all season is the Vander, not the Vanderbilt team, the Vanderbilt football program has taken a couple steps back. And what I mean by that is last season you saw Vanderbilt sort of turn the corner. And what I mean by that is, is there were times they got punched in the mouth and historically Vanderbilt teams in that moment would have faltered. They would have crumbled. They would have packed it up and gone home. They wouldn't have thrown a punch back. Last year, what was so awesome about that season was you saw a Vanderbilt team that could take a punch and then deliver two or three back instead of crumbling, instead of faltering. You saw a Vanderbilt team that was smart in their football and that didn't shoot themselves in the foot and that understood they might not be the more talented team, but if they play sound situational football, they can stay in the game with anybody. And I think you have seen Vanderbilt regress in that all throughout the season. You have seen a team that, uh, unfortunately, it just feels like if they get punched in the mouth, they just falter. And that UNLV game in particular is is really telling. Um, I think you can look at that Wake Forest game. I think particularly in this Georgia game, you can see, yeah, they got up early. They threw a punch, but Georgia threw two. And they, I don't want to, I mean, they kept it close, but they crumpled. It was close, but in my opinion, it never felt that close. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. It never, it, even when Vanderbilt was up seven, nothing, even after they forced that turnover, that fumble from Carson Beck and recovered it. It never felt like Vanderbilt was actually going to beat Georgia. And I think that's what a lot of my key two is hitting on. It never felt like, yeah, the sideline was hyped up. Yeah. I was cheering and yelling, but I never really had a thought of like, we might do this. You never believed. No, and never, never did. And Same. I was, it was justified. I mean, by halftime, every fan knew that game was over. My key takeaway number three, uh, it was going to be just CJ Taylor and his injury status, yeah. but I I do want to shout that out again. I also want to shout out Jalen Mahoney having 16 tackles, which is crazy. 10 solo tackles, forgot to hit on that. But my key takeaway number three, I think is just going to be, regardless of what the record says, the talent gap between Vanderbilt and the elite teams in the SEC is lessening. Now, the execution has gotten worse since last season. But I think as a team, there is more young talent on this roster. And I think if you watched the Georgia game the previous two or three years or four years, the actual gap between the players was less this year. Now, that may be because Georgia's a little bit down. But I think that Vanderbilt's overall talent has gotten better. I just don't think it's improved as much 
as the team and staff thought it would. Mm -hmm. So it's resulted in being sloppier on the details that you knew the previous year. You had to be perfect on details. And now there was, there's a little bit more of an attitude of like, we're better this year, more talented, and they've gotten a little sloppy with execution. So I think it's putting it all together. That's not excusing what we have seen. That's a really good point. But there is more talent on this roster, but the, there have been more mistakes as well. And Barton said something to that effect during the Commodore hour. Uh, I, I don't have the actual quote, but saying that in some ways that Vanderbilt is closer from a talent standpoint, no longer overwhelmed. Something is missing and Vandy's wrestling with what that is. And I, and I think that's what we've hit on a lot is the talent's better. The coaches are more experienced. Why is this team regressing in the win-loss column? Now, last year, granted, they did lose five games in the middle of the season, won too late. The main difference is they beat Northern Illinois instead of losing to UNLV this season. But there's still opportunities for wins or at least a singular opportunity for a win against Auburn coming up on the schedule. They just have to put it together and stop making the mistakes in the middle eight specifically. I, I mean, that that pick from Ken Seals was so inexcusable and game-changing at the end of the half. That is the pick that is so much more hurtful to this team than three random interceptions spread throughout a game. It changed the entire complexion of that game with Georgia receiving the ball to begin the half. So my key takeaway, number three, split into two parts, is C.J. Taylor, please heal up. Please get better. My heart dropped when I saw him go down with that injury. Absolutely. And also the overall talent has improved but there's still a lot of work to do when it comes to actually utilizing that talent in ways that result in success on the field. So that's about all I've got for my three key takeaways. Anything you want to add before we get into our grades for the season so far? Can I just ask, it's not an off the wall question, but I just want to hear what your opinion is on this or what your thought is on this. And I hate to look ahead because I know we have a bye week. If AJ Swan does not start after the bye week, what do you think the outlook is for next year? And well, is there any correlation? So Joey Dwyer tweeted out something interesting that I had not really thought about, that Ken Seals and AJ Swan have the same amount of eligibility remaining. That tweet scared me. That broke my brain because he's right. And that, I don't know if it changes my overall outlook on my opinion of the quarterback situation, but it makes a, the decision a lot tougher for this staff is saying, man, we could have Ken Seals for another two years. And also you could have AJ Swan for another two years. Does AJ Swan take that massive step from sophomore to junior year? Or can you have the game manager and Ken Seals for two more seasons that maybe ends up being more like a Shermer and can just kind of manage the game as this team's overall talent continues to increase with the young guys they have a receiver, the talent they're bringing in in the upcoming classes, and he can be kind of a transitory guy at that quarterback position. So I I think if, if Ken wins out and plays out the rest of the season as the starter, I just don't see A.J. Swan being here next year, and I don't blame him. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion... He made mistakes, but we all expected him to make a lot of mistakes as the sophomore starting quarterback. And now his confidence is gone because he's going to have Ken Seals breathing down his neck and going to be afraid to do what makes him different than Ken Seals. And that's make those tough throws into tight windows that are going to result in interceptions during your true sophomore season. But yeah, I think that is a big decision coming up in this Ole Miss after the bye week before the Ole Miss game is who we see is going to tell a lot of the story of who, what we're going to see next year. Yeah. 
is if Ken comes out, I think that's the quarterback you'll see next year. Is Ken Seals will be the starter for at least next season and probably the next two. I if you see AJ, agree. I think it'll be AJ I for the next two seasons. Agree. So I think that will tell a lot of the story. That's my exact take. Is is, and I know that's a ton of speculation and a ton of assumption, but a- after a bye week, he's had time to heal up the elbow. Now, if you're this staff, you really got to make a decision. And I, and I don't want to sound like apocalyptic, but whoever like the quarterback going into Ole Miss has real implication going into next season. Yeah, 100% agree. But I think it's time to grade the 2023 season so far. This will be easy. I think this will be pretty easy. Trevor, what's your grade through the first eight games? Uh, uh, resounding F. Uh, this team has... I mean, I don't, and it's not even, you know, just, it's not even like we thought they were going to be like world beaters. The goal was to go 500. The goal was to, to the, break the state, even. the stated goal from Clark Lee that five and seven wasn't, wasn't good enough. The goal is to break even go 500 and you're not going to do that. You're not going to win a conference game. You're about to go you you took two steps forward last year. You're about to take three steps back, and I don't want to say it, but like it all, it feels like we're back to step one. It feels like we're back to step one, and so that's why I think this is an F so far. Is you had so much momentum that you could have capitalized on out of last season, so much. Like I don't think we can overstate that how much how much momentum and how much good juju this team had going into the season. And you have not capitalized on it any, in any form or fashion. And in fact, you haven't even like maintained, you just gone back. So that's why I give them an F. Yeah. My grade is an F as well. I think if they had beaten UNLV, everything else remains the exact same. I would have given a D or D minus, but that UNLV game resoundingly makes this an F with the expectations you had going into the year, I think worst case you should be sitting at three and five right now. And I think you could make a lot more of an argument for two steps forward, one step back. If this team's sitting at three and five, staring three and nine, four and eight, right down the barrel, I think you could make the argument for progress is not a straight line. There are going to be issues. It's not going to be Two and ten, five and seven, seven and five, nine and three, eleven and one. That's not usually how it goes. But right now, this team is regressed. The talent is clearly so much better than it was year one under Clark Lee, which is why this is such a resounding F. Is the talent is better than two and six with a loss to UNLV? It just is. And so right now, they're underperforming the talent. They're underperforming what we thought they would do in year three under this staff. I don't want to say that they've gone all the way back to where they were in year one. I don't think I'll take it that far because I do think there are building blocks and things to build on. I think Langston Patterson looks like a legit SEC linebacker. I think London Humphreys and Junior Sherrill look like they're going to be legitimate SEC wide receivers. I think McGowan looks the same way. I think Cedric Alexander looks like a guy that can be a real SEC running back. And you can go across the board. There are places where you're going to lose talent after this year. But I think overall, the trajectory kind of goes, shoots up from two and 10 to five and seven. And then it's going to be a drop. I think it was like taking two steps forward last season and they've taken one and a half steps back, I think is where I would put it. Not all the way back. I don't think they've regressed back to year one because they're clearly a better football team than they were year one. The losses are better 
even though the record might not be better. Mm -hmm. And anybody saying different is just trying to bitch and moan like they just are. If you're saying that this team isn't better than it was in year one, and I'm not a defender of going two and six, they're a better football team. They're more competitive week in, week out. You can see it. Now, it hasn't all come together. They've played like dog shit most of this season, so it's not excusing it. I'm still giving it an F, but there's clear progress, and I'm not on the fire Clark Lee train, and nothing this season is going to put me on that train. I want to see next year his guys will be going into year three with the program, and I think that next season, I don't want to be constantly chasing the dragon here. But I think next year is going to be kind of like this year for the basketball program is it doesn't matter who you have transfer out. It doesn't matter who you have transfer in. It's time to see the results on the field. And and this season we had high expectations. It's been horribly disappointing, but I don't think it's time for full panic mode. I just think it's not going to be the miracle turnaround with the hometown kid returning and Barton Simmons returning that we had hoped for. It's not going to be the exponential growth and national storylines in year three and Clark Lee coming back to his alma mater and turning him around in three years. That was our dream. Uh It's not going to happen. So now it's time to reset, reset expectations. I don't think it's time to burn it all down and regress back to 2020. I I don't think that's the answer. Anybody calling for that? Do you really have the best interest of this program in mind or are you just trying to be right? Yeah, about your take that people are dumb forever having positivity about Vanderbilt football. You're stupid if you thought this team. I mean, it's an F this year. I, I just want to keep mm-hmm. repeating that as positive as I sound. It's an F so yeah. far. This is a failure of a season, but it doesn't mean the program overall is failing completely and this entire staff is failing completely. Changes need to be made. Things need to change within the program, within the culture, but I think you're still on the right trajectory as far as talent goes and Jimmy's and Joe's go, which I think is 80% of football. I just think right now that last 20% is what is killing this team. And Barton said something in the Commodore hour. I don't, I didn't do the research to back this up, but he said something like 40 something percent of Vandy's defensive snaps uh, against Missouri were first or second year guys. And Missouri was around 12%. And I, and I think that tells a lot of the stories. There are areas where there is experience for Vanderbilt, for Vanderbilt standards of experience. Mm-hmm. But compared to other teams in the SEC, Vanderbilt's still very inexperienced and very young. And there's still a lot of growth to be had. Blake Fromang hit on that last episode in 242 very, very well, is talking about those guys up front on Vandy's front seven are young. And that is not where you want to be young in the SEC. So an F for me, an F from Trevor. Yep. Anything else you want to add before we close out episode 243? Nope. I had to think about it for a second. Nope. Yep. Trevor gave it the full thought. I saw his brain. The wheels were turning. The wheels the gears the, were the, burning. The little, I saw the little s- hamster inside of my skull was just... <laughs> I saw steam coming out of his ears. Thank you to everyone who showed up to the TDR tailgate. It was lightly attended. Uh, but we did have a good little crowd, drank some Manmoses, ate some waffles, spilled my waffle directly on my shirt. Thank God I anticipated that and brought it back up. That's a veteran uh, move. Yeah, veteran move because I've done it many, many, many times. But don't forget to leave five-star reviews on iTunes. We'll read those before the Vanderbilt basketball preview that will be beefy for episode 244. But for myself, Will Byram, and my co-host Trevor Hewlin, this has been 
episode 243 of the door report powered by Corey perkins of parks realty roll tide